Support for The Leap comes from Glen's Garden Market, a climate progress-motivated grocery store, deli, and craft beer bar with stores in DuPont Circle at 20th and S Streets and Shaw at 8th and Florida. Good food from close by. Tune in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Hi, welcome to The Leap, coming to you live from the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Gordon. I own a small business, Gordy's Pickle Jar, and one of my favorite things about being a small business owner is talking with and learning from other entrepreneurs. And every Wednesday, Wednesday, I get to have these conversations on air by bringing together small business owners from a wide range of disciplines to share stories, tips, and advice. On today's show, I'm super excited to chat with one of my favorite women entrepreneurs, Michelle Chikalis. Got it. <laughs> uh, founder of Michelle's Granola, who turned her weekend job at the farmer's market into a booming business. Thanks for coming on, Michelle. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Um, before we talk uh, all things granola, I wanted to chat with you a little bit about the road that led you here and kind of how you got your start in the food world. So I understand that some people know what they want to be when they grow up from a very young age. And that was not my experience at all. Um, I had no idea what it, I wanted to be and I even graduated college and still had no idea what path I wanted to go on. And so I had a series of good jobs um, and I, at every one of those jobs, you know, I remember feeling like I wasn't really feeling deeply connected to the work and I didn't really see a career path for myself where I was. And as early as I can remember in my working life, it was always really important to me to feel like my job had a strong sense of purpose and um, was having a positive impact on the world. And so I was really seeking. Uh, and I was actually working as a fundraiser for a nonprofit organization that did peace and conflict resolution work when I started making granola at home. And uh, granola was my culinary obsession. Just really into granola. It's a good, good obsession loved, to have. <laughs> loved it as a food. I was also a bit of a granola myself. Um, I was into natural and organic foods and raising my level of environmental consciousness and growing my own tomatoes and wearing Birkenstocks and the whole thing. So I identified with granola as a food and also as a, a lifestyle. lifestyle. Um, so I was making granola in my tiny apartment kitchen and wanting to hit on the perfect recipe. And I had grown up in a cereal eating household. That's what we had for breakfast every day. And the cereals I remember having growing up, while delicious, weren't fresh or didn't taste homemade in any way. So making my own granola, I was just like, wow, I'm really onto something here. This is incredible. And I was making so much of it that I had to bag it up and give it away in little baggies to friends when they came over. And then I started getting calls. Dude, I ate that whole bag of granola on my way home. And what did you put in that? There's <laughs> gotta be crack in that. And, you know, just if it had an addictive quality and people said I couldn't stop eating it. And then um, one of my friends one day suggested that I try to sell it. So I sold my first bag of granola at the farmer's market uh, in Tacoma Park in April 2006. So this month's our 12th birthday. Awesome. I feel like I loved um, reading about kind of how you um, like maneuvered into the farmer's market space. You know, I feel like you did everything kind of like strategically, cautiously and like on the right trajectory. So you were working as like a baker's assistant, right? 
Yeah, so how the whole thing happened was uh, my friend suggested I try to sell it. I said, great idea. I'll call up the local farmer's market. They'll let me come out with a card table and I'll sell some granola. But when I contacted the farmer's market, the uh, manager called me back. He was nice to call me back. (laughs) And he said, we have a two-year waiting list for the market. Because this was back 2005, 2006. There were very few markets. And um, there was a two-year waiting list for the market, and he also informed me that I had to be a legitimate business working out of a licensed commercial kitchen (laughs) to sell food to the public. So I sort of tabled it, but then I got really interested in what was going on at the farmer's markets and in the local food scene in D.C., and I mentioned I was into natural and organics, but local food still in Maryland at the time, um, which wasn't a big catchphrase. It wasn't really huge. So uh, I went out to the farmer's market, checked it out, saw all these thriving local businesses and farmers really leading their own lives and in a lot of cases um, reestablishing family farms that were struggling and kind of giving them new life by introducing the products to D.C. area consumers out at these markets. So I was really interested in what was happening there and found a job on Craigslist working for another bakery at the market. And I went out there and I just had every intention of working at the market as a weekend job. And it was just crazy because customers would ask for granola all the time and this bakery didn't make granola. We sold breads, pies. And so a few months in I said, you know, I, I make granola and my friends tell me it's pretty good. And they said, okay, we'll make some, bring it out here and sell it. So that's how it got started. So great. So then you just came to market with it. People were like, you probably sold out, right? And then people- Right, I think I brought six on. bags that first day. Three had raisins, three did not. The ones without raisins sold first. So I right away learned something about products and what people are looking for out at the market. And they sold out. And I'm sure that when I sold that first bag, I thought, yeah, I might be onto something here. But it was the next week when those same customers came back and bought the granola again that I knew Knew, that there was an opportunity. Yeah. So So then you just got your own stand, basically, right? I mean. So I, I was working in D.C. at the time. There, there was no union kitchen. There was no mess hall. So first thing is uh, your own commercial kitchen. Right. So I did share space with this bakery that I was working for for a time. So is that what got you to Baltimore then, from D.C. to Baltimore because of the commercial real estate? Yeah, so I was looking for my own commercial kitchen. After some time working in the markets and making and selling and and, and learning a little bit about commercial production, because I don't have a formal culinary education or background even, Um, I'd worked in restaurants, I knew a thing or two about customer service, and I certainly knew what I liked to eat, but that was basically it. So I learned a little bit um, in that bakery space, and then it was when I had to make the decision about whether or not I was going to give this thing a go full time that I decided to lease my own commercial kitchen space. Yeah. And and you found that Baltimore offered a lot. Yeah. I found a a less expensive space in Baltimore. It was in South Baltimore and I was in the Tacoma Park area at the time. So it wasn't that crazy of a commute. When you're starting a business, you're willing to do anything. So (laughs) driving 45 minutes seemed like the least of my worries. Right. Um, But I found a space that was affordable and it was not glamorous, but I knew that it would allow me to make granola 24 seven. And that's what I knew I had to do if I was going to get this business off the ground. Awesome. So then you, um, like how long did you get, you go from like kind of selling just at the farmer's markets to kind of going wholesale? I opened my first wholesale account with a co-op while I was still in the farmer's market scene. 
and so learned wholesale pricing from the farmer next to me who I had seen his sausages. He's he's famous now, Forrest Pritchard. Oh, uh, yeah, he's awesome. a New York Times best-selling yeah. author. Uh, but so he was my I'm fortunate to have him as my neighbor at the market, and I said, "Well, how did you price your sausages for <laughs> wholesale?" And he told me, and so that's how I got started. And uh, the co-op was a beautiful experience early on because they're deeply rooted in the community and obviously want the best for their producers. So that was good because it was a positive experience, but it also taught me what types of relationships I should expect to have in business going forward. So I had a, a wholesale account or two when I moved into that space in Baltimore. And then I really set my, my sights on grocers. And then did it just kind of like... Just one door at a time. time right. Yeah. yeah. Did you end up hiring another person at that time? Or? Yeah. So my friend Tony, um, ha, ha, we had met and he was really interested in what I was doing with the granola. And fortunately for me, he happened to be really passionate about sales. And um, you got to build a team with people who have strengths that you don't have. And I loved making the granola, but I was almost shy to talk about it. <laughs> so that's not good if you're trying to sell something. So he was really good at talking about it and just kind of building relationships with retailers um, and also 2006 local foods were the, the scene was burgeoning and so grocers were looking to source local products yeah so we would get in the door just by being local, local. small batch handmade delicious delicious <laughs> yeah quality yeah. yeah so back then I mean you know 2005 2006 like who were you kind of like seeking you know like who are your mentors kind of like giving you advice on like how to do this like food startup right you know I mean and now I feel like with these incubators and all of these emerging food businesses you know someone's just like a phone call away but I bet you that was kind of different back when you got your start yeah I'm a bit of a do-it-yourselfer um, and I thought that if I was going to do something different, I needed to be a trailblazer. And so I wasn't looking for a playbook. I was just, I got to do this. I got to do it my own way. Um, I was trying to do something different and in, in a way that hadn't quite been done before. So I just talked to myself, <laughs> uh, talked myself through it. Uh, I tried not to pay too much attention to the details other than the product. I mean, the product is the most important detail. Yeah, it's, it's so I just volumes, threw so. myself into that. Um, as far as mentors go, though, I, I looked at what was happening in the scene around me, and I mentioned the market. That was such a good launching ground for the business because right. I had small business owners all around me who were very passionate about their products, about doing things in a different, more sustainable way. Right. And, and they were doing it, and they were thriving. Right. And so look to them um, they were definitely my mentors yeah. uh, and I think what I saw them doing was just working at it sticking with it right and also like people like really wanting to do it to bring like good food to yeah the passion yeah behind these producers and what they're bringing to you at the markets each week it's just incredible yeah um, so I you know I, I feel like so many food entrepreneurs kind of look up to Michelle's and you and it just like your growth has been pretty amazing over the years um, what are you guys in your like third production facility now yes wow so yeah. well, this one's the biggest yet what 10,000 12,000 yeah we're in almost 12,000 square feet wow yeah just cranking out granola yeah. yeah so this was the first space that we built specifically for us to do what we do um, you know a custom build out and the spaces prior we had 
We really have just tried to scrape it together and do the whole thing on a shoestring and just move when we absolutely were busting at the seams and needed to move. And we were fortunate to find a couple spaces that were partially built out into commercial kitchens. So the investment was relatively low. Yeah. Um, and I think that that was a good strategy to grow and not to overextend yourself. Mm-hmm. And I know I just need to feel comfortable in what we're doing and make sure that it's the right step. So this third facility we moved into two years ago and we moved in when we were no longer able to grow in our current space um, and it yeah we're really happy where we are now and we do have plenty of room to grow so what was it like to kind of like take the leap to that because I feel like you know um, for Gordy's I feel like a similar like you know we're I guess to take the leap from kind of like building out a facility that specifically like suits your needs feels like what we you know you need to do um, but it's kind of you, you step kind you of yeah um, this one. Was so how was it? How was it taking the leap? Because um, it was probably the first time that you guys needed investment to make it all happen, right? Yeah, it was. We yes, it was the first time that we needed that. Um, we did get a small loan from Whole Foods Local Producer Loan Program for our second facility, but this was the first major build out. And I do think that this was m- maybe the hardest transition for me uh, personally because we were very comfortable. The business was doing really well where we were. So this was the first time I was, I, it was a choice to move. Prior, I was like, if I'm going to do this, we have to move. This is the only way. And in this case, we could have stayed where we were, but I just had a bigger dream. And I just had to Went for it. follow yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah, it was a growth period for me. It was when I was starting a family. I mean, there was all kinds of just growth things happening and I could see so much. I, I could even see my children in a bigger office and there was all kinds of things that I think were driving me to just keep moving forward. So great. Um, what have been some of the kind of the challenges as you guys have continued uh, to grow? Every day is a new challenge. Right. I mean, starting a business when you are like blazing a trail and trying to go your own way, it, it, you have to learn as you go, and every decision is a mistake in its own way. You know, you just can't expect to do it perfectly. We have been, I fortunately, I can't like recall a mistake that I thought it was going to put us out of business or anything that dire. I try to be really measured and thoughtful about the decisions that we make, but we've certainly had our fair share of failed vendor, distributor, supplier relationships. You know, we've made a choice that in hindsight maybe we wouldn't have made. But I think the biggest thing about the mistakes is, you know, you correct it as quickly as you can. Um, And before you move on, you ask yourself, how can this never, how can we never make this mistake again? Right. And take that really seriously. You know, our production manuals are never fully written. Our employee handbook is never completed. It's an evolving evolving process. Um, so yeah, we've made mistakes, but just, you have to allow yourself to do that or else you're not doing anything yeah. that matters. Right. Right. And know that you, you will, you know, you'll make you a ton of them. absolutely will. Yeah. Like you go to work to make mistakes. Right. That's how I right. look at it. Um, what advice or tips would you kind of give someone that's, you know, just starting out? Follow your dreams. <laughs> right. Um, at the market early. One of the customers said to me, you know, I, I have a cookie recipe. It was my grandmother's cookie recipe, and I have always wanted to turn it into a business. And 20 years ago, I thought I was going to, and then my life went in a different direction, and there were too many, I thought it was too big of a risk, and I never did it, and I really regret that. And that was definitely like a light bulb went off for me. I don't want to regret not doing something. So I was really, you know, I just always say every day, 
the dream of starting out is one thing, but then you're always creating dreams and you always have bigger and bigger visions for your company. So keep going with that and, and follow your heart and your intuition while you're doing it. Yeah. I think one of the things, you know, I mean, outside of your delicious granola, I, um, one of the things that I admire most about Michelle's is your guys like core values. I feel like you have such strong values. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about like, you know, how you came up with those core values. Um, and in addition to that, um, your amazing give one to good food charitable network. Cause I think that is just fabulous. I'm happy to talk about yeah. it. Um, so as far as our values go, I mean, I, I think from the beginning I was trying to create a product and a brand that I wanted to buy and a company that I wanted to buy it from. And so that's really been the way the, the path that we've taken in terms of creating the type of brand and company that we are. Um, environmental sustainability is always, always really important to me personally. Yeah. And so, of course, I wanted to operate a business that I felt like was as having as little of an impact on the planet as possible. And so we you know, started a composting program and we ran our first delivery vehicle on recycled vegetable oil. Yeah, that was really fun. Really <laughs> and, crazy. Um, and but amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Wait, one for the environment and two for cost. You know, if you're right. doing 30, Back when we had more time than we had money. Yeah. yeah, that was a great way to go. Um, so yeah, and that's just the fun of having a business is just trying to do it in a better way than, than it has been done before. Uh, and then um, obviously being really connected with our community and giving back is is important to me personally, and so that's become a strong value of the business. And about five years ago, we committed 1% of our sales to uh, community food projects, so organizations that are growing food locally, distributing it where it's needed most, providing nutrition education, and this business has come up in the farmer's market scene, so it was obviously just um, an underlying theme of the company, so it made sense just to sort of focus our giving in that way. And so we called the program Give One for Good Food, and we started to market it like 1% for the planet, which is uh, was started by Patagonia. And a lot of products in the grocery store and elsewhere carry a seal of support for 1% mm-hmm. for the planet, and that communicates to consumers that they're giving back um, to environmental causes. So this is similar. And we're working, it's now its own nonprofit network, and we're working yeah, to invite so other businesses yeah, to join us. Yeah, I was like, how can Gordy's get involved? Yeah, like, Gordy's can get involved. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have other businesses currently? We do. We have a couple of other businesses. And um, really, what I think the purpose of this organization is to allow businesses to give back, but also to focus on their core business, which is making pickles or making green granola and the organization sort of vets the nonprofits helps identify where the greatest needs are and serves as that connecting point between the business community and the nonprofit world I worked as a fundraiser I know how hard it is to raise money and I've also worked as a business owner and I know what we have time for yeah so there's a connecting point there um, and we do hope to build it out into a larger network because there's just power in in groups and Michelle's granola can only give so much but right. if we have other businesses along with us we can really have have a huge impact right so I mean do you, do you kind of plan on doing that in the coming years um, so we're working on it now, now. Um, we have a part-time staffer who's fundraised a bit to for her position with that organization and we're working to build it out and um, begin to raise vis- visibility for it so, so do you mean her position with that organization being the organization that you start yeah yeah so awesome yeah, yeah. Um, and people now could just find out how to get become a part of this by like going to give one for goodfood.org. You can also find us through the Michelle's Granola website, and there is a seal on the back of our bags 
uh, that will remind yeah. you of what the name is. Um, so is it primarily um, the organizations that you're giving back to? Are they primarily Baltimore-based? More because that's kind of like where you started this. And We're D.C. Baltimore-based with okay. our nonprofits. So a couple of the organizations that we support that D.C. listeners might know are Common Good City Farm. Oh, awesome. Um, and the Crossroads Community Food Project down in D.C. And our goal is to support organizations wherever our products are um, and wherever our businesses are located. So we hope to expand it into a global network. Aim high. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really love it. Um, and I always, I mean, I, I didn't, I, like, I just learned kind of more about it. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. I didn't know that, like, it was beyond Michelle's, I guess. So that's, like, We're really trying good to, to know. Get it there. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really great. Um, so what, what's, like, next for you guys? Are you kind of just staying the course? I mean, you guys have done such an amazing job and you, you seem to have growth year after year. Is that kind of just the the kind of tra- trajectory you guys are on now? Just keep on kind of but, Yeah, growing? of course we want to yeah. keep growing. Um, and I think product-wise, we want to continue to listen to our customers and what it is that they're looking for. So we're launching a grab-and-go, a two-ounce size bag this spring. Oh, awesome. I'm excited about that. I think it'll help um, expand our, our market base by being able to be offered in places that we aren't currently right. offered. So we focus primarily on a grocery size item, but having a grab-and-go, I think, will open us up to some new markets. Uh, we would like to develop a few new flavors this year. So we're working on a few nut-free varieties. There's been a lot of demand for that. Um, we just want to stay true to who we are in, in flavor, quality, texture, yeah. all of those things that people know and love about our products. So um, we're going to be developing some new flavors. And then bigger picture, you know, I'm really trying to figure out how to continue to expand this company and our distribution while maintaining who, who we are, which is local, small batch, handmade. So um, potentially considering opening up some facilities in other parts of the country and really just developing that local character elsewhere. Um, I was going to ask you, um, so, you know, in terms of um, product development, have you guys ever thought about doing a granola bar? Yes, and we have done a granola bar. Oh, you have? We have. Oh, really? Yes. So our uh, production facility, if you can picture it, is just a lot of people working with their hands, very little equipment. And we made granola bars, and they were they were incredible. They were like, um, they had the nice, light, crispy texture that our granola has. So I felt like they were really unique and special. Um, the granola mar- bar market is pretty saturated, though. And we found that our handmade processes just weren't going to allow us to produce a product that we'd be able to compete with. And it's just very In terms of, like, cost. Yeah, we were, we were hand-cutting the bars, and they all have to be the same size and the same weight to wholesale them. And the packaging was really labor-intensive. Um, I think something like that is probably better done on a, with some kind of automation. So we set that aside. Maybe I, we'll pick it up again. What year did you guys do it in? I'm like, like how, five did, I, years how ago. did I miss this? We, I don't think we were selling them down in D.C. I know oh, you we were, weren't? We sold them out at the farmer's markets in Baltimore. Um, and the other thing that was interesting about the bars is there just wasn't like the fire around them that there was about the granola when I first started selling it. And I think that's one thing as an entrepreneur that's important. You have to, you might think you have a good idea. It might seem like a good right. idea on paper, but you really have to like check it as you go. And yeah. I remember I was like, how many bars did we sell this weekend? 10. And I was like, only 10? You know? So, I mean, do you think that, do you think that the fire wasn't there because people are eating more granola versus granola bars? Or do you think that like the flavor profile, you know, like your granola is 
was more delicious than your granola bars. All kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, I think that there is something really solid about doing one thing and doing it really well. Mm-hmm. Gordy's does that. Um, people know what to expect when they come to you, when they visit you at the farmer's market stand or when they go to the grocery store. And so maybe they just weren't expecting that from us or they weren't needing it from us. Maybe they had another granola bar source. Um, so I think it was partially that. I think also just maybe the product wasn't that exciting. I just noticed early on that it just didn't have that same fire behind it that the granola had. Yeah. And so I didn't want to push it too hard. I'm always thinking, you know, like um, we're always trying to like figure out ways like obviously to stick to that one thing that we do and do it really well, but also like how to def- diversify our portfolio. I mean, that's kind of how we came up started doing the Bloody Mary mix and then the canned brine. And they're such different like categories. Um so it's always really interesting when I talk to other companies to see like, you know, because I feel like nowadays people are like trying to branch out in different ways. And, mm-hmm. and as you're, you know, your two ounce, like grab and go, it just gives you what you could be like in 7-Eleven, you know, not, right. like, maybe not 7-Elevens, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yoga studio. Yeah. And, yeah. Right. Well, so how did you guys come up with the idea for the brine? Because uh, that's so brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I, we just, we were selling it to bars. I, I don't I even think at the time selling it. I think we just had leftover and people would, you know. Adam Bernbach at Two Birds, One Stone was just like, which is a bar here in D.C., um, was just like, I'd love to use your leftover brine. And um, and then we were like, you know, we were like transporting in like one gallon buckets, like nothing cute. And we we're just like, oh, we should like, we should do something with this, you know? Yeah. And then um, I think it was just at the time of like the kind of canning boom where everyone was putting everything in cans. And we're like, let's, let's put this in a can. Yeah, so yeah. You, you were listening and that's the kind of like organic way that things should grow. So it's not necessarily an idea that you had, like you weren't trying to come up with something to put in a can. It just happened. Yeah, it's super yeah. organically. Yeah, and, so and same with, we, we, all, we um, you know, we love the idea of using like byproduct um, in having no waste. So like that's kind of how our Bloody Mary mix came up because we were had all this like great residual cherry pepper juice from our cherry pepper spread and we're like, boom, like let's like, this, this stuff is so delicious, it's got to go somewhere, like, let's put it in a Bloody Mary mix. And so that, that's what gives the heat to our Bloody Mary mix. But everything that Gordy's does and puts out there is really, really good. And Thank that's you. something that I admire about your company, and that's something that I really strive for with us, too. Like, we don't just want to put it out there and see what happens. You know, we want to make sure, we want to test it at the farmer's markets. We want to make sure that it's absolutely right and that it's needed in the marketplace. That's the other thing. If somebody else is already doing it and doing a pretty good job at it, you know, that's okay. Let them do it. We don't, we're not here to just compete. We're not here to just grow our revenues and figure out new profitability streams. We we want to be profitable. We want to be sustainable, but we also just want to know what our niche is and what the needs in the marketplace are and, and focus there and meet that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, are you guys, uh, I'm losing my train of thought here. Are you guys, um, I was just going to ask you something and I like totally forgot. Just blanked. What did you just say? I said, you got to be paying attention to what's... Don't ask me. (laughs) Be paying attention to what's going on in the marketplace and responding to those needs. I think it's that you want me to give you a granola bar right now. I I kind of, probably. I'm like, oh, that that would be really, really, really nice. I I just really, Michelle, I can't tell you how much. Like, I was so excited to have you come today because I'm like, I I really admire Michelle's granola. I remember meeting you, like... Way back when we met at uh, a wedding, yeah, I think, right? Yeah, and our and you and Tony had just were, gotten we're started. Yeah, the yeah. businesses were babies. Yeah, well, ours I don't even think, think I don't know existed. if ours existed. Yeah, because we're that. six. We're like half your yeah yeah six. 
Oh, I look to the other businesses that have stayed the course over all this time because I think that's one of the hardest things about having a business is just, you know, you have an idea, but then getting into it and getting in the kitchen and making that product every day because I know that's what you and Sheila are focused on is just making it happen. And There, that's where I went <laughs> blank. I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, um, you know, I feel like you guys um, have figured out a way to scale a recipe that you started with just doing like 12 bags. Um, and you know, I, it might be a little bit easier with making granola than versus pickles, but one of the things that we kind of always get stuck on is um, like never losing that quality um, and never losing just anything about kind of like how we do things now as we grow. And it's quite challenging, um, probably still for the granola, but like, you know, we're burn wine, ginger, garlic for our sweet chips and the more we do, we're like, how, how are we going to be able to sustain this without like changing the recipe, you know? Um, so how have you kind of got like dialed that in? Well, that has definitely been one of the biggest challenges. We don't want anything about the quality of our products to change as mm. we grow. I think though, the, the more control I've given up over the process to other people on, on my team, the better the product has gotten. And I didn't know that that was what was going to happen, but that is absolutely what's happened. And I think I was initially, you think, you know, as the creator that your way of doing it is the best way. And obviously in general, it is, you know, your recipe and what it is you're trying to achieve. You've got that nailed down, but then the process itself has to evolve. And as you grow, if it doesn't evolve, you're just going to be stuck. So we now have grown mostly from, it's just the number of people working on the product, um, and then also the workflow, figuring out the workflow and bottlenecks. And last summer we had like 40 racks of hot granola sitting on the floor that weren't cooling. And we were trying to figure out how we can keep it moving to the packaging area. And as a result of the product not cooling, it wasn't drying out and getting that crispy texture. And so we were having some you know, pretty serious quality issues that were just a result of having 20 more racks on the floor than we had ever had before. So, um, but you just have to, that's the day-to-day -day challenge and that's where you make those little mistakes and you learn from them and you grow. Um, you never put something out into the marketplace that isn't, isn't right. So we've right. always said, and I've always set that standard for my team, that if it's not right, we're not selling it. Right. You just kind of... Uh, it doesn't matter how much it costs, don't right. do you it. Right, yeah, take, one take bad the hit, experience. Learn, right. is, yeah. yeah. So you take the hit, you learn yeah. from it, and and we really haven't made the same mistake production-wise twice. You know, you really do, and you just have to go. You have to solve the issues as quickly as possible and move on. Um, we even have like issues with our ingredients as they come in. You know, ingredients have different oats, have different sizes and absorbency levels, right. and things like that have caused challenges that you couldn't have expected yeah, right. until you experienced it. Yeah, like we, you know, we do a pickled jalapeno, and people are always like you know, my last year wasn't as hot. hot. It was, you know, less hot or more hot or whatever. And, you know, it's a different crop. Like there's some things that we just can't sure. control. Sure. Um, and so that's really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, so did you ever bring anyone like from the outside that like had expertise in food manufacturing to come kind of yeah. show you the way? Uh, I worked with an organization called Maryland Manufacturing when we were building our facility, the one that we're in now. Um, they had more experience in like workflow and how to design a space to handle all of the, the systems and processes that we were trying to put in place. Um, but we've never worked with a food scientist or anybody with that kind of experience. Uh, we do feel like we know our product best, so it's mm. probably easiest for us to solve those problems on our own. Um, I think climate control is a big issue in bakeries, and we've been trying mm. to figure out how to how to manage that 
the, the cooling, airflow, the humidity levels. Um, and I think, you know, our next level facility would have a more sophisticated quality control, I mean, uh, climate control system in it. But also baking is just, it's a people-centered process. You know, you have those ovens, but they're not just shooting out the granola all done. You have to really work it. Yeah. And that's why we do what we do and what makes it so special. If it was easy, it wouldn't be worth it. Right. Or everybody would be doing it. Or and everybody you guys would have... be doing it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we figured out how to make it work, how to deal with the challenges, how to grow. Most important thing is to keep it small batch, handmade. Well, congrats, because it's been really amazing to see you. your huge success and kind of Michelle's take off and be this booming business now. Um, thanks for coming out today. It was a um, pleasure. Thanks, Sarah. Can't wait to see what Michelle's does in the years to come. Likewise for Gordy's. Um, I'm signing off from the Line Hotel. Turn back in next Wednesday at noon for the next episode of The Leap. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at Full Service RDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.